Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin podcast. My name is Matt Brusky, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. So this week, we have a special panel. If you listened to our show last week, we had a brief conversation about what happened uh, at the Bernie Sanders rally in Seattle a couple weeks back with Black Lives Matters, and we're going to have a deeper conversation this week with our special guests. But we're going to get started by introducing our, all of our panelists that are here. That includes Jennifer Epps Addison, who is our the director at Wisconsin Jobs Now. Jennifer. Good morning, everyone. And Jennifer's on the road to Madison. Um, and we, as always, have Jorna Taylor, who is a political consultant here in Wisconsin. Jorna. Good to be back. Good morning. Welcome back. Jorna was off last week. And Robert Craig, executive director here at Citizen Action. Robert. Good morning, everyone. So we're going to get right to it with our guests. On the phone, we are very fortunate to have Brandy Grayson, who is the co-founder of Young, Gifted, and Black, which is a group out of Madison. Brandy, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. And in our studio, we are lucky to have our studio, listen to me, in our office here. Our, office studio. Our office here, uh, uh, we have Nate Hamilton. Nate is the co-founder of the Coalition for Justice here in Milwaukee. Nate, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So both of you are very prominent and play a leading role, not only in both the organizations we just discussed uh, or mentioned, but in the broader Black Lives Matters uh, movement, which we have talked quite a bit on this podcast uh, as different events have happened. But the reason we have, have, have you both here is, as we mentioned last week, we were struck by the discussion that had happened after the Bernie Sanders event amongst progressives. And of course, we consider ourselves on this podcast to be progressives, right? Part of the, the left or liberal progressive movement here in Wisconsin. And felt that a lot of the critique and criticism and the effort that went on was, was fascinating, but thought that it was an extraordinarily important conversation that needed to be had about really had, wh where is the state of the progressive movement in improving the issues that are specifically raised by the Black Lives Matter movement, which are both related to um, uh, criminal justice and economic equality and a, a whole host of things. And it plays out here in Milwaukee, we discussed, and in Madison, that we have two very liberal, progressive-dominated cities that have some of these gross disparities. So we wanted to have you both on to sort of talk with us a little bit about that. And so, Nate, I'm going to kick it to you, and having heard that, sort of get your response to um, both, you know, this, this, what's happening in terms of this, this strategy of, of addressing this and in your thoughts about kind of why you think this is important. My strategy has been, um, at this point, community building. I see that, like, they, they have an agenda, um, but the people also have an agenda, and we need to make sure our agenda is heard. So that's why you see people protesting at the Bernie Sanders um, event because it's we need our business to be heard. And it's not going hurt. So we feel like we have to be more aggressive in our approach to say, hey, we need you to be more visible. Um, we need you to be more conscious and open your eyes to what's happening in our communities. Uh, there's there are so many people that struck in um, by by not having a job, you know, so that's why you got the fight for 15 or the right to work. You got a lot of things that's hurting our people. And we're just asking, hey, politely at this point to come out. Help us move an agenda for the people that will better our communities and, and, and bring trust and better relationships between those people. 
Uh, Brandy, uh, obviously be very curious for your, your thoughts. It's hard for me to um, be optimistic about candidates, whether they're Democrats or progressives. And, and, and due to historical context, what we, what we see of Bernie Sanders as a white guy who has, in a sense, in my opinion, co-opted a lot of our, our messaging around um, police brutality, around economic you know, disparities and education disparities. However, um, what he and others are refusing to do or fail to do um, is really address the issues. Um, a lot of people throw out, hey, let's, let's get body cameras. You know, that's one of his things. Or let's provide additional training for police officers. But what we know as, as, as black people and people in this movement is that that's not enough, that we know that um, what we've seen across the country is black people die on camera with no due process. Um, and what we are aiming for in YGB's campaign is control, community control over the police, because we understand that the murder of our people and the slaughtering of our people is a direct reflection of lack of power, the power to, of, the power for due process, the power for, to enforce justice. So what I want to hear from candidates and white liberals and progressives is, yes, we have a power issue. Black people in America have no power. We have, um, uh, and that is a direct result of racism. And, you know, we can, Bernie Sanders and white liberals and progressives can talk around the issue, but until people are really um, in a place of, as Nate said, consciousness of, of racism and how it affects everything, it doesn't matter what policy or reform, has, if it's not directly related to power, we're still going to be disenfranchised, dismarginalized, and we're still going to face disparities. So what I want to hear from Clinton and what I want to hear from president, presidential campaign uh, candidates is, hey, we need your vote. We can't win without your vote. So let's let's come up with a strategy that shifts power from the state to the people, and that's the only real solution to what we're facing right now. Um, you know, I want to come back to the Bernie Sanders rally, but I do want to ask you to expand on one point. A few months ago, um, you did an interview, uh, and you talked about wanting essentially the same policing that white communities have, which is a zero interaction policing where. Please call when you come and leave you alone when you don't. Or, sorry, yeah, come when you call, but leave you alone when you don't. Um, and so I wonder if you can just talk a little bit about this idea of community control, because I think for a lot of folks that, that you know, feels uncomfortable, um, until you sort of understand the history of, like, the modern-day police forces are essentially an offshoot of, uh, you know, militias that were put together uh, in order to recover runaway enslaved people, right? So, and then they became personal owners after the end of slavery, enforcing Jim Crow, right? And they expanded from that. So can you talk a little bit why the black communities might want community control or zero interaction with police just to help our listeners kind of understand what the challenges are? Well, you know, yeah, it comes down again to the question of power, of not having the power to have or have, we don't have a say-so in anything. We don't set the priorities for police officers in our community. We don't set policies or procedures for the police departments and districts in our community. We don't, we don't have the power to hire and fire. We don't have the power to do anything when something happens to us that's a violation of our human rights. Um, so when, when we think about community control over police, we have to understand that there's no way that we can train an officer in a sense. We can't do a six-month training with a police department and expect those individuals not to embody um, racism because it's, it's, it's 
people breathe it in the moment that they're born in America. It's part of our culture. It's part of our society. It's, it's, it's part of capitalism. It's, it's part of the very fabric um, which we have created through slavery and um, the bodies of black people. So what we're saying is that the only way to get around that, that thing, that insidious disease, is um, shifting power to the community. And really, that's the same power that most elite neighborhoods have. Police don't patrol their areas. Police don't come and wait for something to happen and sit on corners and, and rotate and ride around blocks and, and try to engage people in the community. Police show up in those neighborhoods when they're called to show up. They're, they're reactive. And in our neighborhoods, police are proactive. They're just everywhere all the time. So, And what we also know um, from, you know, historical context and just present uh, reality is that when white people interact with black people, especially um, black white people in power, um, all these fears come to play. So even if you see a black person arguing with a person, which happens because we're all human, we have, we have frustrations and we get into these, these things with individuals in our life, when, black, when, we are, when we're seen to be doing that, we're seen as violent. And before we can even, before they're dealt with on a human level, they're, they're criminalized and, and, they're, and, they're, and they're thrown to the ground and arrested. Whereas when white people, officers show up in white situations that are similar, they, they, they have the discretion and they use the discretion and they usually talk people down like, hey man, go home or sleep this off. But in our world, we're arrested. So we need to be able to have the, the, the ability and the power to say, hey, this is not what we want in our community. This is what, this is what we desire from the police officers. We don't want you patrolling our neighborhoods. We don't want you arresting people just because they're arguing. We don't want you to show up because you get a call that's saying there's a suspicious black person walking down the street doing nothing. Because we also know a lot of the times we are murdered because some white person picks up the phone and calls the police because we look suspicious because we're black. You know, and, 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 and what we have to realize in America and as black people is that it, it has nothing to do with our titles, our positions, or our education. And it has everything to do with the the color of our skin, which is perceived as a weapon. So the only way that we can control them not slaughtering us or, or prosecuting us unjustly is by having control over what they can and cannot do. That's really the only out for us. And, that, and, that's, and that's the same for our education, like setting the curriculum for our education. If we don't have the power to say what we need and how we need to learn, it's, then we're forced to conform to this, this Western white ideology or belief or way of thinking and and, and, and learning that doesn't work for us. So the only way that we can we can get due justice and process is having control over what happens. Just to, to add to that, um, I feel, you know, we got the police and they do this stop and frisk or they do this stop and engage, but the way that they engage is all wrong. Um, they, they're not taught to de-escalate, and we know that the training when it comes to de-escalation is not, it, it's not intense enough. Um, we, we know that there's a lot of bias within the police um, department. We know that they're not asked to live in the city, which they police. So we know that the relationships and, and the way that they look at black folks um, is bad. And I think that comes from the way that they're raised, the, the way that they say, hey, all black people um, are bad or are criminals. And, and that's what they're taught in those suburban cities. Um, they, they're, they're scared. Um, when I go to work out in Beaver Dam or when I go out to work in Wausau, people look at me like I don't belong there. Um, but where do black people really have true freedom? Um, we expect to be in our cities and, and be able to, to be happy, to be able to be um, hopeful. But when the police um, harass you, not only in the city and not only on your own street, and, and then you go to Waukesha and they harass you there, it's like, where's our safe zone?
So that's why we feel that we have to take our community back, that we have to, to, to involve ourselves in, in pulling people together to not only um, take over their communities, but produce community policing, um, where we take care of our own people, um, we protect our own people, and we tell the police department, hey, we don't need your assistance. Um, a person called the police just the other day and said, hey, there are six individuals fighting outside my house. And, and the dispatch said, well, is, do they have guns? Is anyone being hurt? And she said, well, no, but it could lead to someone having a gun. It can lead to someone being hurt. She said, well, I'm not going to dispatch anyone. You know, so we have to show proof of, of real violence. A friend of mine was shot, and, and the police came. One officer came after he was shot. He was in the store waiting for someone to help him. Um, the police came and said, yeah, it's a valid shooting. And then, the, you know, the medical team came, and more squads came and started taping off the area. But it took 10, 15 minutes for that one officer to get there. And then he had to just say, yes, yeah, a black man shot. Um, and then the rest came. So it's like... They don't worry about that in the suburbs. If they say someone has a gun, they're coming, and there will be 15 squad cars there within five minutes. Um, so we know that the lack of response and the lack of respect to the black community is, is relevant right now, um, and we're trying to change that. We're trying to have a, um, a, a campaign that says, hey, we're in your face because we haven't got respect. We're going to demand respect. We're going to demand equality, and we're going to demand change within our community and also educate our people to understand the procedures and policies that the police are operating off right now so we can strengthen ourselves to be able to have the ability and the capacity to protect ourselves and our rights. Um, right now, we have to join um, and link together in all um, organizations, all forms of leadership, clergy, um, to demand this in the masses. Um, I feel that that's the only way that we can um, defeat a giant of oppression, a, a giant of, um, of separating and dividing and conquering um, and of power. So this is Jorna, Brandy, and Nate. Thank you so much for joining us. So there's been a lot of talk about the fact that this is happening at presidential events. And I think that uh, presidential candidate events, and I think that uh, no one on this panel other than me has quite a unique perspective on putting together these events as a former advanced staffer for national campaigns. Um, everything is choreographed to the absolute T, from where the crowd sits to where the entrances are to where we try and keep, you know, protesters away from the TV cameras and the reporters. So let's talk about, for just a minute, that these events, you don't come to a Bernie Sanders rally looking to all of a sudden change your mind. You know going in that you support Bernie Sanders. You're not there for the necessarily the message that he is going to say. You're there for the support. And it's a canned event. Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders, Martin O'Malley, any of the Republicans. It is a canned event with a canned message that is designed for a national media. So the fact that the Black Lives Matter folks are going in and using this as this bully pulpit that already exists is phenomenal. And this is the only way talking to a national press corps that is traveling with these candidates that is going to keep them asking those questions on the plane, that is going to ask them in Arkansas and in Florida and in California and in Wisconsin time and time again, 
I'm telling you, um, while I probably wouldn't have wanted to see you come up on my stage, <laughs> um, it is absolutely a phenomenal tactic. And uh, whoever thought of it in the first place, or all of you that thought of it, it's it's brilliant. And I think that it really is going to make a difference. And it is already obviously making people wake up and making real reporting come out of what are completely canned events. Yeah, and and if you go back to Martin Luther King, he was one of the first who said, hey, we need to get the national media looking at what's going on. Um, so that's we're repeating history in itself. Um, we're just doing things and we're using different strategies and different tactics. But this has been something that has been happening and it died off. And we're just trying to re, um, rebirth it in a, in a more powerful way. Let me ask a, a question. Um, you know, there are a lot of white liberals who literally are like, why are you disagreeing with us? You know, it's the right wing that has the talk shows that are racist, that use race all the time and divide and conquer. At least white liberals uh, have empathy or want things to be better at some level. We can, you know, discuss to what, what extent that's real or not. But I thought the woman who, uh, young woman who gave the speech instead of Bernie Sanders when they disrupted uh, his event in Seattle, uh, not in that speech, but in other interviews, she made a really good point. She said in Seattle, they have absolutely hordes of white liberals and things aren't any better for African-American people. You have the same criminal justice issue, the same economic inequality and lack of opportunity and hope. And of course, we know in Wisconsin, we have found, uh, Wisconsin's Custom Children and Families did research uh, that sparked a lot of attention in Madison, that Madison has the worst racial inequality in the state. And that's where, all, where the hugest proportion of white liberals are. So... I wonder if you could comment on the difference between intent, and I, Brandy, you talked about this in Madison Magazine, and actual conditions, and, 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 and also what, what that means moving forward as to what would actually be helpful from white liberals in empowering the African-American community. It really boils down to impact, right? Because what we've seen in Madison, Wisconsin, is that we're the worst city in the country to live if you're black, and we are um, bombarded by liberals and progressives. They're everywhere. Um, but white intent or good white, um, you know, intent to do well by the black folks or the black bodies or the black population um, is no good for us because you, I mean, folks who are white have no idea what it means to be black in America, what it means to deal with um, covert, uh, covert racism and overt racism. Um, so they can use their best intentions and come up with these policies all they want to affect um, change. But if it's not coming from the perspective of the, the folks who are most impacted and affected and disenfranchised and, and vulnerable, then we're, we're not doing anything. You know, we're not doing due justice. Um, and that's what we've seen across the country is that white folks think they have the answer. White people think that they know what's best for us. And that is um, a, a consequence of racism, that people think that we don't know what we need for ourselves. And so they, you know, they, they come with their PhDs and their and their so-called college education and their their, their knowledge, but they're lacking insight and, and, um, and experience. Experientially, um, they cannot experience what it means to be black in America and what it means to walk into a space where you're already criminalized or judged um, by the very just by the effect of your your dark skin. So again, if we're going to really if we really want to change things. Things, we need a paradigm shift um, in everything. And we also need to understand that as long as um, we are under the, the system of capitalism, racism has to exist. It has to, because there's no other way for uh, capitalism to, to exist. So, and what we have with liberals is people are bought off. You know, politics is money. 
um, agendas. Like when you when you work for a nonprofit and you run a, a nonprofit that that uh, mission is to um, affect change or eliminate racism, and you are your board is directed by all white people who are paid by the city and the police department um, for your programming, which means that your programming is already um, off because you're being controlled by people who are doing the oppressing. So, I mean, we really need to look at our, our, our entire system and do a, a paradigm shift, and we need to start looking from the lenses of humanity versus the lenses of money. And until we move to that place, I don't care what you call yourself, Democrat or liberal, um, there will be no real change. To approach it from a uh, slightly different perspective, I mean, I, I feel like it's important for folks to understand, because I think there are a lot of, what, like, like Brandy said, sort of well-intended, good-meaning white folks, right, who um, want to be agents for change, but who have yet to really internalize and understand how the system of racial oppression within this country has impacted them personally, right? Because white folks don't typically have to think about race unless somebody explicitly is demanding it of them, rather than, you know, as, as folks of color, it's something that's constantly, you know, we're constantly confronted with. And I think, um, you know, black and white folks Liberals and progressives, we all use racially coded messaging. I think, you know, but liberals use it in a slightly different way. We use our messaging in a way to minimize race, to hopefully eliminate the barriers that racism puts us to building unity amongst different groupings of people, labor and the community, faith leaders, you know, black folks and Latino folks, all of these different um, communities. And, and so what we're doing is we're losing on that message because you're trying to act as so though race has no impact, and Republicans understand that race has a great impact and they're exploiting it. So I think, you know, one thing Black Lives Matter is trying to show up differently in this moment is we're trying to show up and say we actually want to put race forward. We're at a point in this country where we need to address the fact that blackness in and of itself is cause for great social oppression. And people need to acknowledge that. And we've gone through three decades where people have tried to diminish that and say, no, no, it's, it's class, it's, you know, progressive versus conservative. And, you know, black folks are saying, well, actually, we're experiencing racism in all of our spaces, whether we're with progressives or whether we're with conservatives. And the way that our communities are impacted, um, you know, those disparities are great, whether our cities are controlled by Democrats or Republicans. So I think people need to really understand that and internalize that when they're questioning why is it that we're talking to Democrats or quote-unquote progressive candidates. I feel when you um, take what happened down in Charleston um, and then you take the people who supported this young man for the shootings, um, I, I feel they're just as guilty. Um, but who stood up and said, these people are wrong. These people are being racist by supporting this man for taking life, whether it's white life or black life. We cannot support that. Um, and we see that our, our nation, our country, our government allows this to take place and not say nothing, just go silent. So I tell white allies, I tell liberals, I say, why don't you stand up to racism when your friends are being racist? Why don't you tell them that it's wrong? And when you feel that you're going to lose that friend, then you're willing to lose that friend because you believe in equality. You're passionate about all life uh, mattering in this country. Um, so I dare liberals and I dare Democrats to stand up and, and call their friends out, to call their, their politician buddies out and say, 
I will not deal with you. I will not transfer funds amongst um, you um, because you don't stand for the things I stand for. I don't believe that that people should be killed off. I don't. I don't believe that that community these should be stripped um, from having the same things that that white communities have: a better education, a better curriculum. Um, we have to change. Um, but our white our white friends who say they're our friends, um, who say they want the best for the black communities have to challenge their white buddies. Nate, I'm really glad you brought that up. I'd say that's something I've personally tried to do, and I'd say in the last six months in particular. You mentioned uh, Beaver Dam. Mm -hmm. I go to Beaver Dam multiple times a year because my son races motorcycles. We come in contact with all different kinds of people in that sporting event. Many of them, I, I would say, are probably racist, right? Some of them in the even you know have like the confederate flag came up mm-hmm. i've taken it upon myself to try and have those conversations with people in that community as much as i can right and really start to try and do what you say it is really hard and i think that is a huge challenge where i got to tell you i think a few years ago i might have just sort of let it go and be like ah uh, what a cracker or whatever you know just mm-hmm. some stupid derogatory comment that doesn't take any responsibility for my role in trying to change that that I actually probably have a better chance than anybody else because I have some kind of relation to them we have a common bond in motorcycle racing and I ought to use that leverage to try to open up and change that person's perspective that that's my role I think that's an I'm it's it, that struck with me yeah. uh, personally I just have to say well what I would what I would just say this is when you see that when you see racism exist I believe that our government should say that they're an enemy of the state yeah mm-hmm. I had a quick we but talked then we have to just be real I mean I'd just like to intercede and say that we have to be real about our reality our government is the oppressor our government believes in racism. Our, the very foundation of America is founded on black bodies, and it continues to be founded on black bodies. We see it in the prison industrial complex. We see it in the nonprofit complex. We see it everywhere. Our bodies is the capital. It's where, it's where the money is generated. And we have to acknowledge that, that yes, white allies is not our responsibility as black folks to, to eradicate racism. It's your responsibility. It's your ancestors who created it. It's the very foundation of America. And if we can't accept that and, and acknowledge it, then we darn sure can't move in the direction of healing. I mean, we just really have to be honest about that. Like, it's not going to be our government that makes changes that uh, eradicates racism. It will be individuals, and it will start locally, and it will move upward. But it will take all of us, all the powers, the black folks engaging other black people, white people engaging other white people. Um, we must understand that what we're dealing with is a psychological sickness. Sickness. It's insidious. It's a disease. It's not something that we can just wipe away with a new policy or conversation. Mm-hmm. This is something that we have to literally shift our paradigm and, and what we believe and what we think. We understand that in American Western society and culture, we are taught to be individual, taught to spend for ourselves, do for ourselves, get, get for ourselves, and take care of whatever we feel like we need to take care of. And, and, that, and that perspective lacks the perspective of humanity. Um, and, and, and until we move into the direction of the lenses of humanity, we will always fall flat, flat on our face. I know we're probably short on time, but just uh, I want to ask a quick question of, of, of both Nate, Nate and uh, Brandy. So we talked about Bernie Sanders and why he was disrupted, and, and Brandy said some things of, of, about uh, Senator Sanders. I was wondering, we haven't mentioned uh, uh, former Senator, former Secretary of State Clinton, and she had an interaction with Black Lives Matter. 
And one of the critiques coming out because they didn't get there, they didn't were able to disrupt it. They had a meeting with her afterwards. Was, was that she was challenged about the role of her husband, President Clinton, and herself? She lobbied for it in a massive crime bill that actually greatly accelerated mass incarceration. And it's my understanding from the press coverage that she has not acknowledged a responsibility for that. So I'm wondering your thoughts on that moving forward, as people still think she's the likely Democratic nominee, even though Senator Sanders has run a very uh, a surprisingly effective campaign. People still think Hillary will be the nominee. So what are your thoughts on that interaction moving forward and how that affects this election? When I watched the video, the first thing I thought is, of course, this is how white politicians respond. There's no accountability. There's no compassion. There's no connection to what is being said. Um, there's this illusion about, oh, well, our bad. We, 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 we erected this policy that led to more incarceration of black bodies. Uh, oh, you know, let's not even deal with that. Let's just move on. Because that, is, that really is the narrative of most um, politicians. Let's just move on and figure out what we can do now. But we can't move on until you're willing to acknowledge that the war on drugs is a direct um, result of racism. That if there was really a war on drugs, quote unquote, then the people that bring in the drugs over, over the, you know, uh, in the ocean and ships and planes will be stopped. Because it's not the brothers that stand in the corner that has the capacity or the power or the resource to bring drugs and guns into the community. This is, I mean, like we just have to be real about um, the, where everything comes from and the root of it is people in power who are hungry. And it, I mean, money hungry, and it's a direct reflection of. Of, of capitalism. The prison industrial complex didn't happen overnight. It happened from good Democrats and white people with good intent. Let's stop the violence in black communities without the, the analysis, the complete analysis of where the violence really is coming from is lack of infrastructures, is lack of opportunities, lack of resources, lack of employment, lack of education, lack of all kinds of things. We have no control over the infrastructures in our communities. Everything in our community is owned by outsiders. We have nothing but white people in our neighborhoods policing us. I mean, that is where all this thing, all, everything else, like it's a domino effect. So, again, we have to acknowledge what is really happening in America and what America is founded on. It's founded on the genocide of one race and the enslavement of another. And, and that is historically still what is consistently happening. It's just different now. It's now we don't have shackles. We don't have chains on our feet. Now we have, we're mentally enslaved and conditioned, and our bodies are being um, for profit. Yeah, it reminds me of that quote that says the system isn't broken. It's set up. It's doing exactly what it was intended to do. And I think, you know, what you're pointing to, Brandy, is that this is a strategic decisions that are made and then enforced upon the rest of society. And I think it's not only just to... Um, exploit the capital of black bodies, but it's, it is to exploit capital across the board, right? It is a strategic decision to pit white working class communities against black and Latino communities, against immigrants um, and, other, and other poor folks in urban centers, because they know that our issues are more aligned than they are different. And that if we Absolutely. were to build an economic system where black people had control of their labor and their capital and the profits that are produced by it, then that system would necessarily mean that all of the white folks, where poverty has expanded in 72 counties across the state, the majority of those counties are more than 90% white. If right. black people are free to exert power over their capital, then all of those other folks in the 72 counties across the state would also be free to exert power over their capital, and the system then yep. could not operate. And so they have to keep white 
working class communities separate from, you know, black communities because together we are more powerful than the corporate interests that are controlling our state. And so that's why Scott Scott Walker talking about that false promise of unity because he knows that that is the one thing that could absolutely derail his kingdom here in Wisconsin is black folks and white folks really uniting to build power and an economy that works for everyone. And absolutely, and we have to understand that's historical, right? Because that, that's the same thing. That's where that's the whole social construct of race came from, is for the purpose of dividing us, you know? And I do have to say I have to go because I have to run into another panel. Thank you guys for having me. And if anybody would like to follow YGB, please look us up on our Facebook. All our events are there, YGB Ferguson to Madison, T.O. Madison. We also have a website, YGBcoalition.org. All our events are posted. And, again, thank you for having me, and you guys have an amazing day. Thank you, Brandy. So, Nate, I know you had uh, some closing thoughts. And, and before you go, after your closing thoughts, I want you to tell us, I know there's some activities this weekend uh, our listeners should hear about. Yeah, you know, just to talk about a little bit about um, Hillary, that's, you know, what they've been doing. They, they're going to continue to create tough bills that's going to lock and incarcerate black men up. Um, it's not going to stop at that bill. Um, they're going to continue to do that. They're they're doing it now. Um, Scott Walker just signed something in to, to make it, you know, harder, um, make it longer, more time to sit in jail when you commit a crime. So they're not going to let off. Um, this is going to be something that they continue to do until we as a people come together and say, hey, this is not right. Um, we need to stop the NRA from pushing guns into our community. We need to go up against these these uh, political giants and these um, economic giants who are pushing money in different directions to support these type of things. Um, they know that they, um, the more people that go to prison, the more money they make. Um, and we understand that back in the day, you know, they talk a lot about black-on-black -black violence. But black-on-black -black violence is, has been happening since slave owner has been putting black man against black man for money. And now um, they did it so well that it still created um, that, that, that conscious and, and, and black people are still killing each other. And who's profiting? The prisons, the privatized prisons are profiting, so they're still happy, and they still feel like, hey, we did our job so good 400 years ago that they're still killing each other, and we're making money off of it. So our job is to change that, to, to give our people some, some hope and say, hey, let's stop putting money into these, these positions. Let's stop spending money on Black Friday. Let's bring these economic giants down um, for then they'll be able to see how we, you know, how we feel, how to, you know, have the IRS attacking them and taking every dollar from them. They need to feel that same pressure. So um, Friday is a day where we'll be um, on 40th Street and Florist Avenue. Um, it's a day to embrace the principles of unity, self-sacrifice, political education, physical training, and resistance. Um, and and we have to form a resistance um, against against these systems of oppression. So this day will be like very family friendly. We'll have events there for kids. They'll be able to do artwork. Um, there's another event tomorrow that's, um, that they'll learn about. Um, if kids need school supplies and of such, they can, they can get school supplies, book bags. Um, but we wanna make this a, a start to building um, community, a start to, to respecting um, each other and loving one another um, so that we can get to, to being able to position ourselves for the fight. And this is at All People's Church. 
on 40th and Florist. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, great. In Milwaukee. So really want to encourage folks to get out there. It's going on all day, essentially from 12 to 9. Activities, community building, as you said, all day long. So including it looks like a dinner and a concert in the evening. So really want to encourage folks who are interested to get out and, and participate in that event. Really want to thank you for coming in and, and of course, uh, and Brandy for coming in and appreciate it and Thanks appreciate the time. Um, and uh, I guess any other, before we go, any other closing thoughts for, for our listeners? Um, you know, I, I would say to, for black lives, um, like when, when, when for all lives to matter, black lives have, have to matter. Um, I think people think that we're being racist by saying black lives matter and not saying all lives matter. We just know that this is a, a, a country who who says um, that we all have equal rights. But until it, we see it, until the black people see it, until our white friends and white allies see it, then it's not right. It, it's, it's set up wrong. So we're looking at how can we dismantle um, what's taking place hundreds of years ago when writing this constitution. Is this country truly independent? You know, there's there's so many questions that we have, and we just want people to really focus on and, and be real, be truthful. Well, thank you very much, and uh, we will, uh, I'm sure, be talking more down the road. Yeah, I just want to let folks know that, um, you know, the leaders of Black Lives Matter, I think, in Wisconsin recognize that this conversation needs to be repeated in church basements and you know, living rooms all across the state. And so um, folks have really made a commitment to try to put together um, speaking tours uh, and go out across the state uh, to folks who want to have this conversation in a facilitated way in their community. And so far, um, Eau Claire as well as Heartland have reached out. But if people are interested in, in bringing Black Lives Matter to their community and have a discussion, um, they can reach out to us on Facebook. Um, or, uh, you know, by sending me an email and I can put people in touch with um, the person who's coordinating all of that. Excellent. And I, I, I assume, Jen, that message would go out to politicians and candidates and other folks who want to engage and make sure that that's a part of, uh, of their operations uh, going forward as we head into an election season. Absolutely. So, okay, great. Well, we, we really appreciate uh, everyone joining us today. Thank you. Obviously, um, it is the weekend, and so we have furloughs from everyone. Jen, why don't you give us uh, uh, a little uh, light into what you're doing this weekend? Well, I'll be supporting my husband's alma mater, Vincent High School. They are having an alumni basketball game uh, and mentorship day with uh, the young men in their high school. And my husband played on their uh, championships. Uh, basketball team back in 1996, um, and he's going to, unfortunately, he's not able to play anymore, but he's going to uh, join Vincent in uh, helping to develop the next generation of leaders. That sounds fun. As everybody knows, Vincent is a basketball power here in Wisconsin, long, long legacy there, so that sounds like a great uh, time this weekend. Jorna, what's uh, going on for you? that I am done vacationing for the summer and back to horse shows again. Oh, there we go. Even though we have a broken George. George. Thank you. Uh, He's broken. He's off for a full year furlough to repair himself, which is disappointing. But I have a lot of good friends who are lending me horses to go to horse shows, which is phenomenal. And I will be judging a horse show all weekend as well. 
and keep George away from the glue factory. Oh, listen. <laughs> that thing is going to be, he's fatter and more spoiled than ever. <laughs> Robert, what's happening in Bayview? Well, they are um, opening the new South Shore Terrace because we're making use of our county parks very nicely. Yay! There's this whole outdoor gorgeous area with food and drink right on the light on the lake. So that looks like it's just about to open. So I hope to go to that this weekend. And of course, my furlough usually begins, especially during the school year, with my nephew Delano volunteering at Citizen Action Wisconsin, as he will this Friday after school. Well, uh, we always look forward to Delano's visits. He's certainly helping us uh, do some data backup, so that's always useful. We love to have Delano in the office. Uh, this weekend, my wife is spending the entire weekend learning how to ride a motorcycle. She uh, wants to get her motorcycle license, so I'm very excited for her. She will be spending all day long learning how to ride. Well, I will be up in Wausau this weekend. I actually have to leave early tomorrow. It's a big racing weekend for us. We are going to be racing up at the 525 Wausau Snowmobile Track, which for the first time ever we'll be having uh, motorcycle races. It's actually a huge fundraiser for... Um, for, for children who are ill, actually, who, who are suffering uh, serious medical issues. So uh, we're expecting thousands of people up there, a couple of thousand people. So it should be a lot of fun. Looking forward to uh, spending some time with the family up on a farm in Wausau area. So should be a good time with my son, Ezra. Uh, but with that, we are going to bring this Battleground podcast to a close. Um, we always, as always, want to thank Brian Woolbridge, our producer who makes this happen, and we will see everybody next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin Podcast. <laughs>